Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 13th to 19th of September, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host, Jean Deville. Before getting into this week's news updates, a special shout out to our good friends at spacewatch.global and gotaikonauts, two excellent sources of space industry news. And a short reminder that if you've not done so already, we suggest signing up for our newsletter over at newsletter.dongfanghour.com. This week, we bring you some updates on China's Martian UAV plans, a whole bunch of different launch industry updates. But first, Jean is going to unpack the return of the Shenzhou 12 crew and the, uh, the ramifications around that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. So, John, the entire world was captivated by Shenzhou 12 this week. What was going on? Sure. So after three months in orbit, the first crewed mission of the Chinese space station, the Shenzhou 12, composed of the commander Nia Haisheng, as well as Taikonauts Tang Hongbo and Liu Boming, returned safely to Earth on September the 17th, marking a significant milestone for the construction phase of the Chinese space station. Now let's go into the details because actually quite a few things were happening behind the scenes. And let's do this in chronological order. On Wednesday, September the 15th, the crew of three Taikonauts left the living quarters of the Tianhe One core module of the Chinese space station to enter the Shenzhou spacecraft, which was docked to the front docking port of the Tianhe One's multi-docking nod, in which the Taikonauts had docked to 90 days prior when they had arrived on June the 17th. It's worth noting that while Shenzhou, um, the Shenzhou spacecraft is pressurized, the Taikonauts put on pressurized suits for the trip all the same, and that's to avoid any uh, unwarranted depressurization that can happen and that can be fatal, and that's notably what happened to the Soyuz 11 crew uh, quite a few years ago. And interestingly, rather than return directly to Earth, uh, the Shenzhou 12 crew actually proceeded to test one last maneuver, which consisted in performing a rendezvous with the radial docking port of the Tianhe One core module. And so that uh, consisted in um, firstly separating, obviously, from the uh, front actual docking port. Then uh, the Shenzhou 12 spacecraft circumnavigated the space station going from the initial position at the front of the Tianhe One space station module to position facing the aft side of the Tianhe One, at the same time performing a 180 uh, degree rotation in the yaw axis. And then next, the Shenzhou spacecraft navigated to position beneath the Tianhe One while performing a 90 degree rotation in pitch. So the docking port of the Shenzhou would be facing the radial docking port of the uh, Tianhe One. Obviously, this is um, much more easy to visualize if you're watching the video because I'll put some CCTV uh, simulations and animations here. And then there were the final stages of the radial rendezvous, which was uh, Shenzhou getting closer and closer to the Tianhe One. There was two stops, I think. There was a stop at a distance of 200 meters, also a second stop at 19 meters. And as well, there was also a 180 degree rotation in the roll axis. So the docking ports, the radial docking port and the Shenzhou docking port would be uh, entirely matched. And the final step for Shenzhou was then to return to the front side of the Tianhe One. And the idea here is to simulate an un unsuccessful radial docking because then the procedure is to, you know, if the Shenzhou tries to dock radially but it does not work, then the Shenzhou would move to the front side and try and dock with one of the actual ports. And this is something that China is much more familiar with. They've been doing it for 
um, many, many years, and it's considered to be uh, easier. Now, one question could be, why did the Shenzhou 12 do this uh, at all uh, before returning to Earth? And the answer to that is because the Shenzhou 13, so the next crewed mission that will be launched in October 2021, well, these guys will have to dock radially. And the reason is because the two actual ports, the one on the front and the one on the aft side, will already be occupied by the Tianzhou 2 and 3 cargo spacecraft. Now, moving on, after these circumnavigation operations were completed, the Shenzhou 12 carrying the three Taikonauts then deorbited to perform an atmospheric reentry and return to Earth. This was done, if we simplify a bit, in three phases and starting at 12.43 p.m. China time on Friday, the 17th of September. So first step, Shenzhou separated itself from its orbital module. It then fired its engines to slow itself down and sufficiently in order to deorbit. It then separated from its propulsion module, leaving the capsule alone to enter the atmosphere. And after a fiery descent in the atmosphere, which absorbs most of the kinetic energy of the capsule, slowing it down roughly from 7.8 kilometers per second to roughly 200 meters per second, that's when the main parachute is deployed to slow the capsule down further. And small retropropulsion engines are then fired during the very last instance to enable a soft touchdown. And this is something that's extremely uh, it's very visible when you look at the live stream that was broadcasted by CCTV and that we'll definitely uh, put up here in the video. The landing site this time, and actually for the first time, at least for a crewed mission, was the Dongfeng landing site in the Gobi Desert, which is situated a thousand kilometers ish west of the previous landing site, which was in the Sizawang Banner of Inner Mongolia. So in conclusion this week, the Shenzhou 12 crew has returned to Earth, but China's impressive space station construction phase does not stop there in a couple of days. And so probably by the time you've watched this video on September the 20th, we'll have a Tianzhou 3 spacecraft that will launch from the Wenchang Launch Center on board along March 7 to a dock with the Tianhe 1 core module. We'll also have a crewed mission, the Shenzhou 13 mentioned previously, that will launch in October. And next year, we should have the two experimental modules, Wentian and Muntian, as well as two cargo spacecraft, the Tianzhou 4 and 5, and two crewed missions, the Shenzhou 14 and 15, all launched towards the space station. So that's a lot of launches. These are all launches that we'll cover on the Dongfang Hour, so um, definitely stay tuned. So yeah, that's a lot of uh, crewed space flight happening over the past week. But Blaine, I think there's also a lot of stuff going on in launch. Do you want to uh, fill us up on what's going on on that side. De definitely a whole lot going on in launch this week in both China and uh, the global launch sector more generally. And so, yeah, today I'm going to have two parts of this launch discussion. First, I'm going to go into a few of the updates from Chinese commercial launch companies over this week. And then I will give a few thoughts and updates on some global commercial launch company activities over the past few weeks. So first, getting into the Chinese commercial launch updates on the week, the first update we have is from commercial hypersonic rocket company Space Transportation. And this week, they announced the third successful launch of their Tianxing-1 suborbital hypersonic rocket. And this launch comes after the April 2019 and December 2019 launches of the Tianxing-1. Uh, and this is noteworthy for a couple of different reasons. Uh, first of all, the fact that, as we mentioned on the Dongfang Hour, episode 46, the Tianxing-1 is um, one of the relatively few commercial uh, rockets in, in service right now in China. And at the time, we discussed the target price for a flight on the Tianxing-1 of about 5 million RMB or about 800,000 US dollars. And so if there was a paying customer on this flight from September 19th, uh, this may give us a, an order of magnitude estimate as to how much they paid. I would note, however, there was not a whole lot of additional details following the uh, September 19th third flight of the Tianxing-1. 
So just to give a little bit more of a review of space transportation, the company was founded in August of 2018. And just a few weeks ago, they made a massive Series A round of funding of about 300 million RMB, which we discussed in our Dongfang Hour newsletter number 15. And the company is developing the Tianxing series of suborbital high-velocity testbeds, of which the Tianxing-1 and Tianxing-2 have already flown. And as I mentioned earlier, we discussed on a previous Dongfang Hour um, just kind of the significance of the fact that space transportation is one of the relatively few Chinese commercial space companies that is actively doing revenue-generating activities today, right now. At the time of the most recent, well, at the time of the funding round from last month, uh, the company also expressed interest in developing Earth-to-Earth -Earth space transportation uh, and a space tourism business. So things like trying to take someone in a hypersonic plane from Shanghai to New York in, in two hours, something like that. Um, the roadmap for such business models has not been made entirely clear, but uh, nonetheless, um, something that the company has indeed mentioned. This was not, however, the only update from space transportation this week. The company also announced later in the week a Series A-plus funding round following their Series A funding round last month, with the A-plus funding round being 100 million RMB, coming primarily from Silk Road Golden Bridge Capital and also Sky Chi Ventures. A couple of points about this funding round. Again, it comes about six weeks after their Series A funding round, which is to say that over the last couple of months, space transportation has raised about 400 million RMB. Uh, I would also point out that Silk Road, Silk Road Golden Bridge is a returning investor from the funding round just six weeks ago, and that Sky Chi is a returning investor from a 2019 funding round into space transportation. And at the time of this particular funding round, this just this past week, uh, we did hear from Zhang Bin, who is a managing director of Sky Chi Ventures, talking about what the logic was for their company's investment into space transportation. And a couple of notes that he brought up were uh, quite interesting, I think. So first, talking about how there are not a lot of areas of commercial space where China is really world leading and uh, where you know the West has not really taken uh, a, a bit of a lead. And that uh, this sort of hypersonic rockets and, and these kind of space planes might be one such area where China can, um, let's say, you know, get out to an early head start. Um, so that was the first point. And then um, and so separate from uh, Zhang Bin at um, at Sky, Sky Chi Ventures, we also heard from Wang Tao at Silk Road Golden Bridge. Uh, who mentioned that space transportation has won orders from a variety of different customers and that their technology is relevant to both national defense and commercial applications. So really a pretty huge week overall for space transportation with two pretty big announcements, um, but it was not the only announcement in the Chinese commercial launch sector. Going over to Beijing, we also saw this week the company iSpace, or Interstellar Glory Space Technology, sign an agreement with the district government of Daxing District, which is in the southern part of Beijing. And as we discussed on our recent Beijing Space Industry Deep Dive episode, which was released last week, there is a very large cluster of launch companies in the Daxing part of Beijing, with more than 10 commercial launch companies around an area that is known locally as Huojianjie, or Rocket Street. And so again, this uh, agreement this week between iSpace and the Daxing government is for an R&D center, an industrial base that is eventually going to cover an area of 60 acres. And I would also point out that it is going to be in the Dashing Commercial Aerospace Industrial Base. So overall, another example of a launch company collaborating with a municipal government and another example of a launch company setting up a large presence in, uh, in the Dashing district of, of Beijing.
Uh, and so the last China-specific launch update this week, um, we saw the company O-Space or Orient Space or Dongfang Hongjian, a uh, very recently founded company that has now set up an R&D facility in the western city of Xi'an, which is going to be dedicated to liquid propulsion. And the subsidiary is going to focus primarily on developing rocket engines, which is pretty appropriate given the amount of launch know-how that is concentrated in, uh, in Xi'an. And so at the moment, they are hiring 11 roles for this Xi'an subsidiary. And these roles include things like a liquid rocket engine assembly designer, a liquid rocket engine system designer, a liquid rocket engine thrust chamber designer, and other pretty similar roles. So basically, uh, another rather rapid evolution of one of China's newer commercial launch companies. And it will certainly be interesting to see uh, where O Space manages to go from from here. And uh, as we've discussed before, whether there will be another Chinese commercial launch company whose name is a vowel followed by the word space, because we now have reported on two of them in the last 10 minutes with iSpace and O Space. Those are all the updates on the Chinese commercial launch sector from this week. So now moving over to the global commercial launch sector and the last couple of weeks and just making some observations and how they may be relevant to the Chinese sector. Um, so I think the first uh, and, and this will be primarily in, in two different parts. So the first is valuation and uh, the second one is going to be discussing market development and the business model that we've seen uh, developing over the last months and, and years. So looking at valuation of commercial launch companies, over the last few weeks, we've seen some pretty incredible increases in valuation. So the most noteworthy example would be the um, U.S.-New Zealand launch company Rocket Lab, which recently completed a merger with a special purpose acquisition company or a SPAC, which now makes Rocket Lab publicly traded. And in the roughly one month since that has happened, the company's valuation has increased by about 50 percent to around seven billion U.S. dollars. And so... Um, Pretty impressive growth, and, and the company is now a you know, very valuable launch company. Um, at the same time, we saw just a few months ago, Relativity Space, which is a fellow U.S. commercial launch company that has not yet launched any rockets, uh, raised $650 million U.S. dollars at a valuation of about $4.2 billion U.S. dollars. And so, again, very large funding round, very large valuation. And I would finally point out a German launch company, ISAR Aerospace, which has raised about $165 million U.S. dollars over the last year at undisclosed valuations. And so taking a step back, and admittedly, this is not necessarily an apples to apples comparison, um, but when we look at the relative size and funds raised and technological progress of Chinese commercial launch companies compared to the ones that I just mentioned, so Rocket Lab or Relativity or ISAR, um, it's pretty clear to conclude that several Chinese commercial launch companies would be worth more than one billion U.S. dollars at the moment. Um, and so this is particularly true if we look at the premium that Chinese space companies can tend to get relative to Western space companies. And so to, to dig a little bit into the numbers, um, we see, for example, uh, Zhongtian Rocket, which is a recently IPO'd Cask subsidiary. They make rockets, they make uh, rocket engines, related components. And the company in 2020 saw revenues of about 860 million RMB, about 140 million U.S. dollars. Uh, and its current valuation is about 9 billion RMB, about 1.4 billion U.S. dollars. So trading at about 10 times revenues. And if we compare that to Italian uh, launch company Avio, which is the manufacturer of the Vega rocket, among others, Avio saw 2020 revenues of around 330 million euros and is valued around 285 million euros, uh, which is to say less than one time revenues compared to Zhongtian at more than 10 times revenues. 
And so, again, I, we don't really know what land space is worth or what iSpace is worth. And they have not been, you know, they've not publicly mentioned their valuations. Um, but when we look at the global launch companies and the valuations that they have been seeing quite recently growing very quickly, um, it is pretty safe to conclude, I think, that China is home to several unicorn launch companies, which is to say companies that are worth more than one billion U.S. dollars. Um, so that's all on valuations. My last part of the launch update, and then I will turn it back over to Jean for Martian UAVs. Um, want to bring attention to a really interesting webinar this past week that was recommended by friend of the podcast, Jacqueline Meir over from Go Taikonauts. And this was a webinar that was put on by the Space Tech Expo Europe, and it was talking about small launch vehicles in the European context. And it was really an all-star lineup. They had a, a representatives from Ariane Space and from ISAR Aerospace, from PLD Space, and from the Rocket Factory Augsburg, moderated by someone from ESA. And so there were a couple of interesting takeaways that I think we can, um, again, apply to the Chinese context a little bit. And so I think that the first one is, um, in general, the webinar painted a positive picture for the European small launch sector. But there seemed to be this acknowledgement that Europe is certainly behind the U.S. in launch, but also to a certain extent behind uh, behind China. One interesting takeaway, and it was an anecdote from Rocket Factory Augsburg, was commenting that for time-sensitive missions, the launch sector is still a seller's market, which is to say prices are quite strong, and it's good to be a launch company if your customer wants to launch at a relatively specific date in the relatively near future to some specific orbit. And so when we think about this in the Chinese context, I think China may be at an advantage to some extent in the sense that you have a very large number of launch companies planning to develop a very large number of rockets. So call it 20 launch companies all of them trying to develop a few dozen rockets per year manufacturing capability. And so even if 75% of the companies fail, uh, that leaves five-ish launch companies manufacturing 20-ish satellites per year within the next couple of years, sorry, 20-ish rockets per year within the next couple of years, um, you're looking at 100 rockets per, per year. You're looking at one launch every three days. So basically this idea that um, there's a lot more activity going on in China and there's likely going to be more general opportunities to get into space because there's just more rockets being built and, and more satellites being built. So we'll definitely be interesting to see where that goes, but uh, highly recommend checking out that uh, that webinar from the Space Tech Expo. So yeah, definitely a very big week in uh, in launch and um, quite a lot going on both inside and outside of China. So uh, Jean, if anything, uh, anything from your side on launch or shall we move into uh, into Martian UAVs? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, very uh, thorough coverage on your side. Let's uh, let's move on to Martian UAVs. So earlier this week, we got some additional juicy details on China's Mars UAV prototype, which we had already mentioned a couple of weeks ago in a previous episode. And just as a reminder of what we mentioned back then, uh, we had a team from China's NSSC, the National uh, Space Sciences Center, and more specifically, the Key Laboratory of Electronics and Information Technology for Space Systems. So a team there successfully passed an acceptance test review for a project that's named the Mars Surface Patroller and Remote Sensing Key Technology Study. And there were some first photos that were revealed back then. What we could see was a UAV with contra-rotating rotors with some definite resemblance with ingenuity. And so this week, through an interview uh, of the lead designer of the project, Bian Chuanjiang in the China Science Daily or Zhongguo Hexue Bao, which is one of the 
oldest and largest Chinese science journals, and it's managed directly by the uh, Chinese Academy of Sciences, we learned some additional interesting points. And so the first one was this Mars UAV prototype project was actually uh, started off in Mars 2019. And so that's three years after China had officially announced its Tianwen-1 Mars project, which, by the way, at the time was not called Tianwen-1. It was roughly nicknamed Huaxing-1 or Inghua-2. And so Bian Chuanjiang in 2019 applied for mm. Beijing Municipal Science and Technology grant for his research, which he obtained in December of the same year. And so I think this is really something interesting to note that this, that this Mars UAV is more of, a, I guess, a bottom-up uh, initiative where it's a researcher that you know, that suggested this uh, prototype, this project, rather than something that was defined by a high-ranking officials, uh, space officials, and that was on the Chinese Mars roadmap um, from day one. Um, the second thing here on the drone that we learn is that the idea behind the development of this Mars UAV prototype is to uh, survey to acquire data on large surfaces of Mars. So potentially areas with hundreds of meters in radius in one single flight. And this is as opposed to the a rover on the ground that can that can achieve such um, distances, but at a much slower pace hundreds of meters probably in a in a month as opposed to a couple of minutes for a UAV. And the Mars drone, we learn, will also mm -hmm. be helpful in understanding the environment around the rover and perhaps detect features of interest from high up and then uh, sort of guide the rover uh, to the given target. And I think this is where you can see some contrast between China's future Mars UAV, which carries some um, spectral imaging payloads, and NASA's Ingenuity, which has some uh, navigation cameras, but it's really more of a demonstrator mission. It has no scientific payloads. But also, um, I like to remind everyone that, I mean, this is the whole point of ingenuity. It was to demonstrate the feasibility of flying on Mars rather than doing science. I think that in itself, that in itself is already really huge. We learn in this interview some additional characteristics on the China Mars UAV. The rotors will have a diameter of 1.4 meters, which is slightly longer than uh, Ingenuity, which has uh, you know rotors of 1.2 meters. The total weight of the Chinese drone will be 2.1 kilograms, so slightly heavier than Ingenuity at 1.8 kilograms. And probably the most significant and remarkable difference is that the Chinese UAV charges its batteries by connecting itself uh, to the rover every now and then on the ground. And so the rover acts like a power supply. And this is different uh, to the technical solution uh, selected by Ingenuity, which has solar panels. So it relies on solar panels exclusively to recharge its batteries. So overall, some very cool Mars UAV stuff uh, coming from China, although very early stage. We know that China's next Mars mission is at least reported to be in the late 2020s. And there have been some presentations that have been hinting at the uh, late 2028 Mars launch window. Um, so we're talking about something that's going to take place at the very least in, you know, five, six, seven years. And this is something that the lead designer, Bian Chunjiang, admits voluntarily. He says that possibly we need at least five or six years of research with the necessity to test uh, this drone prototype in a simulated Mars environment. And this is um, experimental infrastructure that China does not have at the moment. So, uh, so yeah, very interesting updates on China's Mars UAV prototype, um, early stage again, as mentioned. Um, and I think with that, Blaine, do anything else on your side or are we pretty much good for this week? 
pretty much good. I will, however, say that it's pretty cool, the sort of bottom-up nature of the Mars UAV program that you mentioned, just applying for a grant at the old local uh, municipal uh, yeah, science technology grant people. You know, that's, that's interesting stuff, yeah. So uh, that being said, um, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup, this for the week of the 13th to 19th of September 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host, Jean Deville, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for watching. See you next week.